0: From Washington, VOA presents Issues in the News.
1: Hello and welcome to Issues in the News. I'm Kim Lewis and joining me on the panel this week via Skype are Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief Linda Feldman and VOA White House Bureau Chief Patsy Wittekaswara. Welcome, Linda and Patsy. Hi, Kim. Happy to be here, Kim. Well, here are the issues. The United States, Mexico, and Canada vowed to tighten economic ties at the annual North American Leaders' Summit. U.S. President Joe Biden, Mexican President André Manuel López Obrador, and Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met in Mexico City and pledged to strengthen supply chains after weathering serious disruptions during the COVID-19 pandemic. The White House said the three countries would improve legal pathways for migrants, and Lopez Obrador again urged Biden to press Congress to enact measures that would regularize the migration status of millions of Mexicans in the U.S. Thousands of supporters of Brazil's far-right former president Bolsonaro invaded the country's Congress, presidential palace and Supreme Court on Sunday in a grim echo of the U.S. Capitol invasion two years ago by supporters of former president Donald Trump. The concessions House Speaker Kevin McCarthy agreed to in a bid to appease conservative members of his party set up showdowns this year with Senate Democrats and President Biden possibly heightening the danger of a national default or a government shutdown. Weeks away from the annual State of the Union address and his expected reelection announcement, Biden is tangled in a classified paper chase classified documents discovered november second at a washington office biden once used after he was vice president and made public for the first time on january ninth has mushroomed into a foggier narrative involving a second discovery of classified documents The Pentagon says Ukrainian troops are set to begin training on the Patriot missile system in the U.S. as soon as this coming week. Analysts say the decision to train on American soil could increase tensions with Moscow, as Russia's President Vladimir Putin has constantly warned Western nations against further involvement in the war. Well, those are the issues and let's get started. Patsy, what is your take on the recent North American Leaders Summit in Mexico? What was accomplished?
2: So I think the White House was right from the beginning saying that this is not something where we can expect big announcements or deliverables. And I think that's very common for this administration, at least. I think this is a president that likes to check-in that likes to keep lines of communications open. Having said that there are a lot of issues that need to be discussed by the thorny, as you said you know there's the issue of migration, climate change, trade, drugs, fentanyl right that has led to the deaths of thousands of Americans that the. US believe is coming from Mexico. There's also the issue of guns. Mexico wants the US to do more to stop the flow of American guns that are used by drug cartels and criminals in Mexico. So there's a lot of discussion. The three of them say the three amigos have a great relationship together, but we know that there are some issues. If you would recall, in June, Lopez Obrador skipped the summit of the Americas. That Biden hosted in Los Angeles, which was a big deal. You know, this was supposed to be a summit that brought together everybody in the region, and Mexico is such a big player, but yet he skipped it. So they have a lot of issues to talk about. And at the end of the summit, the three countries did agree to tackle the issue of narcotics, fentanyl, uh, by sharing information on the chemicals used to make them. They also agreed to reduce methane emissions by at least 15% by 2030 from 2020 levels. They also agreed to create this virtual platform to give migrants easier access to enter Mexico, the U.S., and Canada. So, you know, some small announcement, no great big uh, deliverables, but that was the design from the start.
1: Critics of the Biden administration's handling of the illegal crossings of the southern U.S. border say the administration is not doing enough to contain this. Well, this issue does not seem to have affected Mexico and U.S. relations other than Lopez Obrador urging Biden to press Congress to enact measures that would regularize the migration status of millions of Mexicans in the U.S. Your thoughts on this, Linda?
0: One of the key aspects of the discussions between President Biden and President López Obrador was this announcement that the U.S. had made last week that Mexico would accept 30,000 migrants each month from Venezuela, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Cuba. So this was an effort by President Biden to show Americans that he is trying to do something on the border while we await resolution of the Title 42 issue, which is this health emergency declaration that was keeping a lot of people from entering the U.S. On the negative side, I was actually struck by the Mexican president's comment at their final press conference where he said of Joe Biden, you are the first U.S. president in a long time not to build a single meter of border wall. That really struck me. Obviously, AMLO is happy about that, But that, I think, hurts Joe Biden going forward. Assuming he is going to run for re-election, that sort of suggests that he's not really trying to block the border in the way that, obviously, Donald Trump was. I mean, let's not forget that President Obama was dubbed the deporter-in-chief, that he too was trying to send people away and not have just this freewheeling rush at the border, which we're seeing right now. So this is a really tough issue for him. He's getting it from both directions. From the left, human rights groups are unhappy about this effort to send people into Mexico. And of course, the right is always on his tail about the border, including at the top, Donald Trump.
2: I absolutely agree with Linda. When I heard that line from AMLO, I was thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, the entire <laughs> Biden White House team must be internally palming themselves, yeah. thinking that this is just like, Father for future Republican candidates' political ads. I just want to add as well, to what Linda has said. One thing that he did do before he visited Mexico was he went to El Paso in Texas, where there's this influx of thousands of undocumented migrants crossing the border. He did not meet with the migrants. He met with Customs and Border Protection officers. You know, he's getting a lot of criticism. Why does it take two years into his presidency before he visits
0: the border? For Joe Biden to go to the border, I mean, he needed to check off that box early in his administration. Absolutely, yeah. in fact, it took him two years to finally do that it was slammed as a photo op but at least he did it it advances the narrative about his dealing with that issue
1: Some really good points there that you all have brought out. But let's go over to Brazil, where thousands of supporters of Brazil's far-right former President Bolsonaro invaded the country's Congress, presidential palace, and Supreme Court on Sunday. And this, of course, many are saying is a grim reminder of the U.S. Capitol invasion two years ago by supporters of former President Donald Trump. So was this invasion, was this a surprise for
0: Brazil It wasn't. We've been sitting on the edge of our seats ever since Bolsonaro lost the runoff election to Lula, the now president of Brazil, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva. We could see this coming from a mile away. And as with January 6, 2021, in this country, you have to wonder why the Brazilian authorities weren't ready. And now we discovered that Brazilian rioters were openly plotting online to do exactly what they did. They were calling it a huge party. And it was sort of an echo of Donald Trump saying, be there, it's going to be wild, right? So the Brazilians I know are just despondent over this. What happened in Brasilia, all three branches of government buildings were invaded, precious art was destroyed, people were injured. It's a tragedy for Brazil, just as our own January 6th was a tragedy.
2: I think you're absolutely right. Linda, we saw this from a mile away. From the very beginning, Bolsonaro has been introducing this narrative, much like Donald Trump, that we cannot trust the election system in Brazil. I think one of the lines that he liked to use was, we cannot prove that there is fraud, but you cannot prove that there is no fraud. So, you know, this introducing of skepticism and whipping up the Brazilians' rage, that really became the elements that drove us to what happened over the weekend. And now, as we know, Bolsonaro has left the country. He is now in Florida. In fact, perhaps you have seen much of the memes that's coming out uh, where he was photographed eating fried chicken at a uh, fast food restaurant. So this is the situation right now. The Biden administration has been under pressure to expel Bolsonaro back to Brazil. I think State Department spokesman Ned Price said that anyone coming into the U.S. on this, what's called the A-1 visa, which is for sitting heads of state, would have 30 days to either leave the country or adjust their status. But as I understand, Bolsonaro is also thinking of returning back to Brazil sooner than he had planned.
1: With this happening now in Brazil, do you all see Brazil becoming a divided country?
2: I think it's already a divided country. I mean, that much is clear, right? And we don't know what's going to happen to Brazil. We do know that President Biden has given his support to President uh, Lula da Silva. They had a conversation over the telephone on January 9th, I believe, and the U.S. president gave his support for Brazil's democracy, condemned the violence, and invited President Lula to visit Biden in early February. So we don't know what's going to happen, but this is certainly something to keep a close eye on and a concerning trend, not just for Brazil, but for other democracies in the world, where they see a democracy in the U.S faltering because of what happened over january 6 and what happened with donald trump and you know the division and polarization in american society following that that's unfortunately happening all over the world as well
1: well here in washington the 118th congress is now underway after a painstaking 15 rounds of voting as an observer of this what was going through your mind linda and what do most americans think of that historical process
0: So it's being described as chaos, but I didn't see it that way. I saw this as, yes, our system has reached the point where the congressional leader of a major party can't win the speakership on the first vote, but there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it did show that Kevin McCarthy was skating on extremely thin ice. It was evidence of the fact that his party didn't do as well as expected in the midterms. They only have a four-vote margin- in the House. It was expected to be this giant red wave, which it wasn't. And so he had to make do with what he had. And he had the Freedom Caucus, the right wing of the party, members of Congress using their clout, as you would expect them to do to gain concessions from him. I mean, I handed to Kevin McCarthy for sticking it out, 15 rounds of voting. It was embarrassing for him. It was humiliating. He kept his signature smile on his face most of the time. And wound up as speaker. I had bets going with other reporters on whether McCarthy would make it. And I know prominent reporters who thought, well, he'll never make it. But I was thinking, well, there's nobody else. No other serious candidate raised their hand. Kevin McCarthy was willing to put up with this and made some major, major concessions to get there, including probably most significantly allowing a so-called motion to vacate, that is a vote on whether to kick him out of the speakership by just one member. So only one member has to step forward and call for such a vote. Then they have to have that. So I'm not sure how long McCarthy lasts as speaker, but it's going to be very difficult for him.
2: The implication of that is that he will essentially be held hostage by, you know, this small group of very focal, very right-wing, very conservative lawmakers with that motion to vacate. It's essentially a sword hanging over his head at all times, which will make it difficult to create any kind of progress in legislation, which would also make it difficult for President Biden and the Democrats to get anything done because, you know, they will need the support of Republicans in Congress. They will need some bipartisanship on a number of issues. Some of the analysts that I spoke with said that this was a situation of Kevin McCarthy's own making. I mean, I agree with you, Linda. You know, It was uh, such a sight to see Speaker of the House keeping his stoic smile the whole 15 rounds. But some analysts say that this was something that he brought upon himself because from the very beginning, he appeared to be pandering to the right. And so there's a lot of power and influence that the right can have on the speaker. So what will happen next? That's a big question. Like Linda says, how long will he stay speaker? But the bigger question is the American people want Republicans and Democrats to work together to get things done. And now with this situation where it needs 15 rounds of votes to be able to select a House speaker, mind you, the last House speaker, Nancy Pelosi, was elected on the first ballot. The fact that we now have this chaos in Congress, it really brings a a huge question about How the country would move forward in terms of legislative priorities.
0: Right. And the most important thing coming up is the need to raise the debt ceiling. American debt, which is now at $31 trillion, we can't keep racking up debt without an authorization from Congress to keep servicing that debt. We'll reach that debt ceiling probably sometime this summer. And Kevin McCarthy has promised not to allow Congress to pass a resolution allowing for a debt limit increase without major cuts in spending. If they can't reach agreement, which I think is entirely possible, the U.S. could go into default for the first time in history, which would be absolutely horrific, both for the United States and for the global economy. We're going to see attempts, for example, by Republicans to reduce spending on social safety net programs on Social Security and Medicare. Democrats will not tolerate any of that. And thus, we could be heading for a very, very serious impasse. You're right, Linda.
2: You know, we're in for uh, some thorny and bumpy ride, but I want to highlight one possible area of alignment between Republicans and Democrats with this new Congress is the strategy against China. I asked White House Press Secretary Queen Jean-Pierre about this. and She said that the White House is looking forward to work with both Republicans and Democrats. And she's very clear in saying that there is alignment on this issue. So if there's one possible area of cooperation, it's the fact that Republicans and Democrats believe that there is a bigger enemy than each other and that that is China.
1: Yes. So we can see that this is going to be a very interesting year in American politics. Well, it's time now for a quick break. And when we return, House Republican leaders say they will investigate classified documents found at President Biden's former offices in Washington. Well, Issues in the News is coming to you from the Voice of America in Washington. If you would like to download the program, it's free on iTunes, just click on the iTunes tab on our website at voanews.com issues. While you're there, check out our other programs, Press Conference USA and Encounter. Also visit us on Facebook and leave a comment or two. Then like us at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Now back to our panel via Skype, Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief Linda Feldman and VOA White House Bureau Chief Patsy whitaker zwara Well, the White House confirmed that the Department of Justice was reviewing a number of documents with classified markings found at the office of President Biden, and now new documents have just been discovered. So could these revelations prove to be a political headache for the president?
0: It is a headache for Joe Biden, and it's an unforced error. So Joe Biden said he was surprised about the discovery of classified documents in boxes from his days as vice president, and I believe him. There's a big difference between this discovery of classified documents and ones found at Mar-a-Lago. With Joe Biden, as soon as they were discovered, they immediately returned them to the archives. There was no effort to stonewall or pretend that there was nothing wrong. It's hugely embarrassing. The only potential problem in the timeline here is that the first bunch of documents were discovered in early November before the midterm elections, and we're only finding out about this now. So that suggests, you know, an effort to delay putting out this news. But the fact remains that this does take away a lot of the sting of the Trump documents. If Joe Biden is running for reelection, which I think he is, and if somehow Donald Trump is the Republican nominee, then that will be less of an issue use against Trump than it otherwise would have been.
2: Yeah, I agree with Linda. I think this was something that Republicans jumped on. Former President Donald Trump himself on Truth Social said that when is the FBI going to start raiding the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps including the White House? So that's his line of attack there. I think you're right, Linda. The issue is not just about whether the documents were discovered, but how did the White House react after that? press Secretary Queen Jean Pierre kept on saying that the administration did the right thing, but she did get a lot of pressure from our colleagues in the briefing room, who was essentially questioning what does the President know and when did he know it, right? Because this happened in November. Why wasn't there any kind of announcement that this had happened? Even though, yes, by law, they did the right thing. They handed it over to the archives, but there's still a lot of questions. And now we're discovering that there's more documents found. This was by the discovery of Biden's own aides who search possible places where there might be more classified documents. And I spoke to experts about this issue and they said, you know, surprisingly, this kind of mishandling of classified documents is not uncommon. It's actually very common happens a lot. The issue is what happens afterwards. But of course, when it comes to this level, the mishandling of a classified document by a sitting president, it becomes more than just a legal issue. It also becomes, like Linda said, a political issue.
1: In our last topic, the Pentagon says Ukrainian troops are set to begin training on the Patriot missile system as soon as this coming week here in the U.S. What kind of reaction can we expect from Russia on this?
2: Just the fact that we are providing the Patriot system is already, according to Russia, a provocation. The Biden administration waited for months before they agreed to this. This was something that Ukraine had wanted from the very beginning of the war. And as you would recall, at the end of the year, President Zelensky came to Washington, D.C., met with President Biden, and then spoke in front of Congress. And this was the announcement. The other surprise, other than the fact that we are giving the patriot system, is, of course, as you said, that we are training these Ukrainian forces in the U.S., in Oklahoma, for sale to be trained on operating these Patriot missiles. Analysts have thought that we are going to train them in a third country, perhaps Poland or Germany, just kind of like containing the war there. But the fact of the matter is that Ukrainian forces have been trained in U.S. soil. Now, the other issue is what other weapons will we be providing for Ukraine? As we know, two European countries, two allies, are considering sending tanks. That's Poland and the U.K. This is something that was once considered off-limits by Europe and U.S., that kind of weaponry that can be considered offensive weapons. But If we look at it more broadly, the fact of the matter is that the war is escalating, the support that's coming from NATO is increasing, and at this point, there's really no diplomatic off-ramp that we can see in the near future.
0: We keep hearing leaders saying, we're doing everything we can to help Ukraine, and then they take it to the next level. This is frustrating to Ukrainians who have been saying from the start, we need everything you can possibly give us as quickly as possible to put this down, but by metering out the aid, they suggest that it's extending this. But I think what we're seeing in the West is an effort not to be going directly to war against Russia. I mean, that's effectively what's happening, but it can't be seen that way. Another issue that will be interesting to watch in the new Congress will be how Democrats and Republicans align over aid to Ukraine. There has been some resistance, both on the right and on the left, whether this resistance to helping Ukraine reaches the level where it can defeat legislation, I don't know. But I think that was a key part of Zelensky's visit here in December was to, in a very compelling way, make the case for his country directly to the American people and to the members of Congress. Americans have big hearts, but we have big problems in this country as well. And, and you do have significant members of Congress pointing that out and saying, we need to spend that money here and not overseas.
1: Well, it's time now to find out what is weighing on the minds of our panelists this week. Linda, what has been weighing on your mind this week?
0: I think we can't end this episode Issues in the News without talking about George Santos, the Republican from Long Island in New York who was elected to Congress, you know, new member of Congress, whose life story is, as best I can tell, completely fabricated He claims attendance and graduation at two major universities, which isn't true. He claimed he worked for Goldman Sachs, for Citicorp. He claimed he had a nonprofit to help animals. It goes on and on and on. On one level, it's funny. I mean, there have been lots of columns about how ridiculous he is and how he's being completely shunned in Congress by everybody, both parties, and you now have... Republican leaders from his district calling on him to resign and new members of Congress also calling on him to resign. But it's also sad. I think what it demonstrates is a lot of public life really rests on trust. People say things and you want to believe them. If somebody says they work for Goldman Sachs, you're not going to go rushing to check the records to make sure that's true. But now, unfortunately, we have to after this case. He seems to be a pathological liar. And I can't see him lasting in Congress, but it's certainly been quite a show while he's still in there.
2: For me this week, I'm looking forward to the Japanese prime minister's visit to the White House on Friday. I think it's fascinating how the Biden administration has managed to turn Japan into essentially very much like a NATO ally, in particular in aligning U.S. and Japan relationship to counter China as well as to hold Russia accountable in Ukraine. I'm a foreign policy wonk, so this is fascinating because obviously Japan is a pacifist country, but now they've changed essentially their national security strategy. They've increased their defense spending And no longer is happy with the role of just bankrolling security and asking for U.S. security umbrella, but becoming much more active in this issue, becoming much more aligned with U.S. foreign policy. So that's something that I'm excited about this week. I'm sure nobody else is (laughs) except me. But yeah, so that's my focus this week. Okay, thank you. Well, we will end the show on
1: those thoughts. My thanks go to our panelists, Christian Science Monitor Washington Bureau Chief Linda Feldman and VOA White House Bureau Chief Patsy Witta Kazwara. I'm Kim Lewis, and thanks for joining us for Issues in the News.